If you're listening to this, there's a good chance you work within the real estate investing industry. There's another good chance that you would like to increase the sales of your products or services. Well, you're in the right place. United States Real Estate Investor is a platform you need to place your brand directly in front of your target audience. With our focused, growing audience of real estate investing beginners, enthusiasts, and seasoned professionals, you can continually reach our captivated viewers and listeners with ease. To learn more or to get started today, just visit UnitedStatesRealEstateInvestor.com slash advertising. That's UnitedStatesRealEstateInvestor.com slash advertising. Get ready to increase your brand awareness and your bottom line. Attract clients with content. Even though, even though investing in yourself has proven to be the best strategy for building wealth for you and your family, it's not always so easy to find your tribe along your personal journey. In the world of business, it can sometimes feel daunting to seemingly always be in the good old boys club where you may or may not be taken seriously. Well, now real estate investing isn't just for the guys anymore. With real conversations about strategy, business relationships, actionable steps, financial goals, and more, you've just found your tribe. Welcome to United States Women in Real Estate Investing. Hey, hey, welcome to This Month in Real Estate Investing, everybody. In this episode, we'll be covering a variety of news items, including public storage makes $11 billion hostile bid for life storage. New CRE tech platform aims to be a dating service for 1031 exchange deals. And meet the platform fundamentally changing how we think about real estate investing. Okay, I'm your host, James Brown, and I help fellow investors reach their passive income goals through our hybrid investing model, as well as other traditional types of investing. Reach out if you want to learn more. If you're watching live, feel free to comment and ask questions. Today, our guests are Don Thornton, Kim Kesterkey, and Brad Chandler. Uh, why don't you each introduce yourselves in that order? with your background and what types of investing you focus on. My name is Don Thornton. Like you said, uh, I'm known as Don, the short sale guy. I've been doing short sales almost exclusively since uh, 2002. Done well over 3,000 short sales flips in that period of time. And, uh, you know, still here, more gray hair, but I'm still doing short sales. That is a lot of short sales. (laughs) Awesome. Kim? Oh, you muted. 
Thank you. So uh, my name is Kimberly Kesterkey, and I started real estate investing about 17 years ago, back in 2006. And I started out with more of the long-term buy and hold strategy. And about, I would say about three years ago, I really started focusing my efforts on more creative financing, um, doing rent to own, land installment contracts, contract for deed, and doing more holding that way, more as the bank. So um, I started a community on Facebook. Um, we're called the W2 Investors. And um, I've got a brand, W2 Landlord, that kind of helps with that. And just really excited to be here today. Awesome. Brad Chandler, I own two companies. Uh, back in ninth grade, I read a book on how to buy real estate with no money down. And in uh, 2003, I bought my first house. And I guess 20 years later now, I've bought and sold 4,000 houses all across the United States, but mostly in the DMV area, DC, Maryland, and Virginia. And a couple of years ago, uh, I went through a major life transformation. And now I spend most of my time focused on bradchandler.com, where I help entrepreneurs find more happiness in their lives. Fantastic. Glad to have you here, all of you. Well, let's get into it. Uh, the first news articles from the Denver Post, right where I live. Um, with home sales falling in Colorado, real estate agents will have to fight over a shrinking pie. Uh, during the pandemic, thousands of people in Colorado lost or left their jobs and got licensed with the common misperception that being a real estate agent was easy money. But with the high interest rates, sales have fallen by a fifth and are expected to slow even more, reducing the number of agents needed. <clears throat> there are already about a thousand realtors that have dropped out, um, at least as being realtors, which is another designation, another layer above being an agent with extra ethics uh, training and stuff involved. Um, but they were tracking how many people were realtors and a thousand have dropped out already uh, just recently. And uh, let's see, most new agents don't last more than five years and the change in this market is going to make it even more difficult for them to hang on. Uh, well, this is interesting. 95% of commission income for agents goes to the top 5% of agents. There are a lot of agents that don't do many deals or have enough to uh, you know, make a a living wage. Uh, companies like Redfin, uh, a quarter of its agent employees, their their agents are actually employees, cut a, cut a quarter of them, and Compass has had four rounds of layoffs since June. Um, now, I, I know Kim and I are both licensed realtors. Um, oh, my. And you I are, was. too. And yeah, Dr. I was. Red, you were, too. Okay, cool. Um, then we'll have something to, to share about this. Um, anyone want to jump in? I mean, look, we could talk about this for days, right? I was on a, uh, a mastermind I'm a part of earlier today. And this guy who's a lender, one of the largest uh, lenders for the investor community in the United States, he does thousands of transactions a year. He did the, this amazing presentation on interest rates. And he took them from Fannie Mae interest rates over like the last 60 years. And you hear the buzz now about, um, well, let's get into a, a 5-1 arm or 3-1 arm because when the rates come back to normal, well, I'll refinance, right? Well, do you know what the normal interest rate is over the last like 60 years? It's closer to like 8%. And for the last 40 years, it's been going down. Charlie Munger, who is partners with um, 
with uh, Warren Buffett. Warren Buffett. Thank you. I'm, I've got Berkshire Hathaway in my head. I was about to say Mr. Berkshire Hathaway. Um, he's basically said that I think that the trend after 40 years is going to turn and it's going to go back up. So what I was, you know, for the last six, eight months, nine months, as, as interest rates have gone up, I kind of predicted like volume is going to, I don't know what's going to happen with prices, but I know one thing, volume is going to go way down and volume has gone way down. And even for us, volume has, way, has gone way down in the flipping business. And we spend a fortune marketing. I think what will eventually happen, and I don't know if this is two months or two years from now, is people are going to understand that interest rates aren't going back to normal. If they go back to normal, they're going to go up, right? And I think people are going to, right now, there's so many people that have a two or 3% interest rate that aren't moving because where are they going to go? They're going to, they're going to double their, their uh, monthly payment, right? But I think if interest rates continue to stay, people are going to be like, all right, well, I guess I have to, I have to sell now, or I'm going to, I'm going to decide to make that move. And I think we're going to see the norm, like the normal trend of, of transactions come back. I just don't know if that's, you know, two months or two years from now. Yeah. Yeah. We're definitely seeing a huge shift. Uh, well, maybe not huge, not like uh, 2008, right. They're, they're not predicting that kind of drastic shift, but uh, you mean shift, shift in what? Just, uh, well, both in. Or you can swing a dead cat in every street and get five foreclosure vacant houses. Yeah. Right, right, yeah. Yeah, I, I, that's what you're thinking, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Thanks, Don. Thanks no for problem. bailing me out. <laughs> I, was thinking, I, I, th I was thinking you might talk about prices. I mean, that's a whole nother topic. Like I, in the DC market, the in, in the San Diego market, because I have friends there, it's back to the craziness. It's back to people making multiple offers. It's back to uh, bidding over the price. And if you would asked me three months ago, would that have happened in February? I'd have been like, there's zero chance. But I was wrong because it's it's insane. <laughs> yeah, I, I see that too. I'm in more of the Atlanta market as well. And I just really think that we're going to start seeing it's a function of the interest rate versus purchase price. So, you know, I came across a really interesting a statistic that, you know, back when things were really crazy uh, last spring, you know, there were people going in doing $50,000, $100,000 over the purchase price. And with the lower interest rate, when you brought it all down and looking at, you know, what our average here in Atlanta is between, you know, 350 to 400,000, and you were getting a certain um, end level payment each month. Even with the interest rates going up, what we're seeing is it's not so much that the market's slowing down, but we're seeing that those $50,000, $100,000 over asking price isn't landing as frequently as it was back then. Actually, more sellers are open to actually either selling at the purchase price or a little bit below. And that end, um, that end monthly payment is still the same. So I think what we're going to start seeing is people are going to want a certain monthly payment and the market is just going to have to fit into that. Eventually, we're not quite there yet, but I think we're going to start seeing that. Yep. And what do you guys think about the like the topic of the the news about agents having a bail or <laughs> stick around? Like, <laughs> I call that that every time, every year. That's what I mean. It's just that's the way. That's the nature of the beast. You're talking about a very competitive market. You're talking about people that you're right, have a lot of them have pipe dreams that somehow getting a license means that they're going to be able to start making huge amounts of money in real estate. 
any kind of competitive, especially commission-based environment, you're always going to have the top 10 get most of the money and the rest you're just going to get crumbs. So, I mean, that's just, that's just the way real estate's been as far as long as I've been there, which has been almost 25 years now. So no surprise there for me. Yeah. Yeah. I know like in Colorado, we've got 44,000 agents, 29,000 are realtors. Um, that is a lot of agents for Colorado for the amount of deals that can go around. And I think it's the, the percentage is like five deals per person uh, versus I think nationally it's six. Uh, but if that's all you're doing, that's yeah, not, not, a, not a lot to go, go around. Yeah. I think the average realtor in America sells like what, two houses a year. Um, yeah. So, and if you look at the volume, the volume is because interest rates have gone up and people in those 3% mortgages don't want to go and get a five or 6% mortgage. They're just sitting there. They're like, we're going to wait. We're going to wait until <laughs> the mortgages again, come back to normal. But if, if they wait to go normal, it's going to go up. So I think people, um, you know, in the next 10 years, there's no one's going to argue that we have a shortage of houses in the next 10 years. So no matter what interest rates are now, I think it's, um, Warren Buffett, who says that the 30 year mortgage is one of the greatest investment vehicles ever, right? Because you've got a floor, you know what's going to happen. If interest rates go down, you refinance. If they go up, you're in a great position right now or forever for, 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 the, for 30 years at, at least. So I think that uh, uh, waiting to buy, you know, someone once said the greatest time to buy real estate was 30 years ago. The second best time is today or yesterday. Um, I still think that. I'm looking at, I, I divested most of my stuff over the last couple of years, and I'm actually thinking about starting to buy again because prices aren't going to go down. 10 years from now, when we have this conversation, I promise you any house you bought today is not going to be lower than it is 10 years from now. Yep. Just keeps going. Yeah, I definitely agree on that too. And just on more of the agent conversation, I just think anybody can be successful anywhere. So like you said, that 95% or 90% of the commissions go to the top 5%, you know, go be the top 5%. And if it's not for you, then just go, you know, pivot, do something different. Um, I think a lot of people get into real estate as an agent because they think it's fast money. They think it's easy money. And I think because the barrier to entry is extremely low. I mean, you do have to get a certification test. You do have to pay certain fees, but when you compare it to a college education or some of the barriers to entry in other industries, real estate is, is very accessible. So I just think, you know, if these agents are willing to hustle, they can be in that top 5% collecting 95% of those commissions. Or if they want to get into real estate investing, that's honestly where I made, you know, a lot like 90% of my money is in more of the real estate investing, but I'm an agent as well to just start helping people, um, you know, invest better and helping people buy better. Yeah. Well, hey, let's jump into the next article uh, from Reuters. I used to call it Reuters, but I guess it's Reuters. Uh, <laughs> Public storage makes $11 billion hostile bid for life storage. They've been throwing lowball offers at life storage since January, apparently. And initially, they were told to pound sand, but uh, they've uh, they might be reconsidering um as time's kind of gone over gone by and you know the self-storage um it was really booming and it was super hot during covid and now it's starting to cool um 
So uh, considering the shift in the market and headlines like this, other REITs like Blackstone and Brookfield may jump in with ex more acceptable offers to life storage as well. So um, how do you guys think this takeover, um, takeover of this size is going to affect the self-storage um, industry and, and affect smaller investing groups because I know there's, there are other like more mom and pop type investor groups out there. I'm just fascinated by the whole, not just about this in general, but it's, it's, it's always a trend. And, you know, the people that, that get hurt are the ones that start buying too late in the trend, you know, and the question is, is the trend, I mean, is the, you know, is it is spiked? And now it's starting, there's always, there's always a correction, you know, and so you have to determine, you know, is this, is, is this correction going to go down longer or is it going to stabilize at a certain price point? You know, I don't know. I mean, in my investing, you know, my investing strategy has always been to, you know, if it's not low hanging fruit and if I, or if I can't in a short sale, create the low hanging fruit, the equity that I need, I won't invest. And maybe I've missed out. I missed out on some, some, uh, some profit that way. But I never gotten hurt, you know. So that's that's been my investment philosophy. I don't invest in these types of investment vehicles, so I don't know. But I mean, just my general view on how to respond to these types of you know articles and these kinds of things that, that happen. I just and I know going back to the previous thing, I would never spend fifty thousand dollars more than than the list price. <laughs> you know? I, I'd rent before I did that. I, maybe I'm stupid, but that I would not do that as a general rule. Yeah, it's been insane how they've been overpaying. I was on the listing side on a bunch. And I'm like, I can you afford this? Like these appraisal gaps, and it it got crazy. And you know, we I remember one where they were just bidding way over. I'm like, okay, I, I need to talk to your lender see if there's any possibility of you getting close to this appraisal gap. So, yeah. So self-storage, um, do, do any of you guys have experience with that? Have you invested in it, put deals together? No, I haven't. Oh, you're muted, Brett. I do have a good friend of mine who is a who owns a ton of self-storage, and it has exploded over the last like five, six, seven years. And I just, it always just makes me think like, how can, how can so many new places be? Uh, be created and, and built and developed these self storage places, and it, it, you know at some point the music's going to stop, right? Your original question was how's it going to affect the, the small guy? You know, uh, the the bigger they are, you know, usually the more economies of scale they can be. They they can price gouge. They can they can you know do specials that are going to hurt the little guy. So it's definitely I don't think it's a good thing for the little guy. But you know what? Maybe maybe they can't. Maybe their cultures are going to clash and they're going to you know end up going bankrupt. It's just. Who knows? I know that the economy uh, is probably way worse than than the feds are making it out to be. And I think it's getting worse by the day. So, you know, that usually is a good thing for self-storage because people end up, you know, consolidating and moving in together and they need somewhere to, to place their their items. So who knows? It's it's a, it's a interesting world that we live in today. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. It was probably four years ago. Um, saw a presentation by a gal that was in self-storage and a little follow-up about a year after that, I heard that, you know, they 
her group had gotten into some hot water. Things weren't working out with self-storage. While everything else seemed to be booming, everything uh, I was hearing was self-storage is just, just rocking. So I was kind of interested to see that. But they were also a smaller operator compared to public storage. You know, that, like you said, has these economies of scale. And I know a lot of those, it's like multifamily syndication, right? They go in and they, they find a mom and pop storage facility, maybe add some some tech and and processes behind the scenes to to make things more efficient and add value. Um, and that's where those those big companies probably have that really dialed down, you know, able to come in, turn things around super quick and make them more profitable. I did uh, back in uh, another life. I worked for uh, a residential REIT called Avalon Bay, one of the top uh, REITs in the country, kind of like the Nordstrom of property management. And in graduate school, I got an MBA in real estate. And, and one of my professors had done a paper on that the economy is a scale that you think that these big companies get. They actually don't because when you add up all the middle level level managers and all the travel and the plane trips and the hotels and everything, all the support, that it really is not the economies of scale that, yeah. that you think they would get. So just another interesting viewpoint on when these huge companies come together, if they're not efficiently and, you know, efficiently run, they could be, uh, they could be, you know, not very efficient and actually hurting themselves. Yeah. I, yeah. I guess I've seen that in, in corporations too. They get, get bloated. Yeah. One of the things I picked up from this article that I really thought was interesting was that the, the, the big thing here is that, you know, how is it going to affect the mom and pops? And I honestly think it's a good thing for the mom and pops, because especially if, you know, there's only enough self-storage out there, it's a good time for them to cash in and they could probably get a pretty good price for it. But another thing that I thought was pretty interesting is as more of the commercial space in the United States is shrinking, I think that it gives a really good opportunity for self-storage to start occupying those spaces. I know that these big companies are building it from the ground up, but even in this article, it mentioned that the, the cities and metro areas that do have these self-storage, they're occupying more retail space. They're you know, really supporting the economy in you know, a lot of different ways. So I think that there could be a pretty cool, um, if you know, we're talking about pivoting or for mom pops, I think that, you know, mom pop commercial people like this could be good or mom pop self storage, it could be good as these companies start buying more. Yep. Cool. Anybody uh, else have comments? John? Oh. All right. Let's go to the next news item. Okay. From marketplace.com. For home stagers, it's hard to put a pretty face on the real estate downturn. As the housing market slows down, people in every part of the business are feeling it, including stagers. It's well documented that staging is worth the money because it attracts buyers to the home through photos and then helps them imagine what the home would look like with their furnishings. But some sellers are more strapped now and staging isn't cheap. Uh, it's typically around 1% of the list price uh, with homes sitting on the market longer and furnishings actually being rented for a time period, it can add up to even more. Uh, I was going to comment. So I, I'm a true believer in staging. Uh, when I first got in the business, I wasn't doing staging. 
And once I started doing it, I, I saw the actual real life results for my sellers, getting them more money than, than they would even considering that, that amount they had to pay, um, which uh, in the article, they were talking about the, the seller paying it, which they, they can either pay it directly or I usually just, you know, charge a commission that has enough in there to cover it, but I pay it directly to the stager. I, either way, the seller's paying for it, but it is worth it, in my opinion. Um, and so for you guys, uh, are any of you selling rentals or flips currently? And if so, have you staged when you were selling those, those properties? So staging... Uh, for us has a lot to do with what the market's doing, right? So for many, many years in these last, mostly the last, what, eight years, we didn't have to because the market didn't require it, right? Last year, things really, late last year, things really started to turn for us. So guess what we started to do? We started staging again. Um, we started doing the landscape packages because when someone drives by, you want it to be the prettiest home on the block, right? We didn't have to do these things when houses were flying off the shelves, but the last so the last three months, we started staging again for the first time in like, I don't know how many years, five, six, seven, eight, eight years, something like that. Um, and now the market literally in the last like 30 days has shifted again where there's multiple offers and, and, and bidding up prices. So we're not going to put the money on staging because there's hardly any houses out there. And if you price it right and it looks OK, you don't need to stage. So, so that's my opinion on staging. Now, could you make the argument that you should stage everything all the time because it might sell for a little bit more? Perhaps, I guess, I guess you could, but who knows if that's the case. That's my feeling. Like, yeah, the, the time is condensed. They're flying off the shelves, you know, day or two and you got offers on the table. But yeah, I think that the, the principles of staging will bring that price up even higher. Like if it's a like kind property, right? If yours is staged and another one isn't, they're both getting offers, but you might get that higher price. So that's my feeling. How about uh, Kim Dunn? Oh, muted. Thank you. Every time I've staged, I've gotten more money or I've rented it faster or sold it faster. Uh, that's just been my experience. Now, I haven't staged everything, but just looking at my experience of when I have versus when I haven't, it's it's been a good thing. Yeah. And, and worth, you got more money even considering the cost of it. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. Well, I've got a unique perspective on it because I'm a foreclosure guy. So, yeah. I mean, <laughs> I'm a foreclosure short sale guy. So, they're not, you know, I'd say 80% of mine are short sales. Whatever is left is a subject to deal. And our version of staging is we, what we politely call putting lipstick on a pig. So, which means basically cleaning out the trash, doing a quick, you know, mop and wiping down the counters. And, and, and yes, it makes a huge difference. Uh, even in those kind of, you know, poop holes as you, you sometimes get. So, I mean, the principle is great. I mean, I think it just comes back down to like anything else. You crunch your numbers. You know, I mean, what's your investment? And how much can you reasonably expect to, you know, get more from on your sales price? And just is it worth the, the hassle? You know, and if, if you're going to get extra five, six, seven thousand dollars to net, then yeah. If it's if it's a thousand, a couple thousand, then maybe you don't want to do it. You know, so, I mean, that, that's always the, it's always the numbers, you know, people get caught up in, you know, prices, right? I used to do the same thing. That's one of the reasons why I stopped 
doing fix and flips because I, I crunched my numbers and realized that the more in, intricate uh, fix and flip I did, I wasn't profiting that much more than if I just cleaned the thing up and sold it. You know, and so all it matters is the profit and also just time. How much money you got tied up in a project? So for me, I just said, screw that. I'm just, I'm just, I'm gonna put lipstick on a pig and move it. Especially like you said, if the market's moving in your areas, you know, and it's all regional. I say this is the biggest difference that I've seen so far in this environment. You know, I came of age in the early early 2000s when it was really hot as well, and of course we all know what happened after that. You know, went all down, right? But I mean, now it's like Florida. We've been seeing substantial. Uh, decreases in sales prices. And we've seen, you know, houses stay on the market longer. But yet, like you said, out west San Diego, it's booming again. Or maybe Atlanta is the same way. So, you know, it's all regional now. We can only, you have to react to where you're at and where you're investing is. But here, you know, I mean, it's slowing down. And so I, you know, I mean. So where, where, in Flo- where in Florida are you seeing the price declines? Uh, we're seeing it in, uh, I, I put it this way, uh, I have, I don't know, at any given time, 20 to 30 of my short sales are out there and we're having to uh, substantially uh, lower our lower our prices. We've seen, you know, 15, 20, sometimes 30 percent we've had to lower. What, a- what areas? All over the state. And we have them all over the state. I mean, it's just it's been, um, you know, I mean, we, we have them from Pensacola down south, uh, southwest in central Florida and Jacksonville. And we have seen we've had to. Uh, lower the prices and what's interesting is because of the short sale the bank kind of controls when you lower and how much you lower it and they're finally realizing that at least in our market it's been coming they've been allowing us to, to lower the price to get to get action on the property so that's interesting because i'd heard that uh the the east coast of florida kind of like the the miami um kind of fort lauderdale boca areas we're, we're seeing those declines but i talked to friends recently who are investors in sarasota kind of down in naples and they're mm-hmm. like, there are no price declines at all happening here. So I'm a short sales guy, right? So maybe that's a it's a function of the fact that nobody wants to go after the short sales. That's I totally agree. Yeah. But yeah. I just from my experience, we've seen some significant price drops. I would expect that because 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 the people uh, the the experts the so called experts were forecasting like six months ago what markets would take the tank you know the biggest and yeah. Florida was one of them. But it doesn't seem like, uh, like, because around around the DC area in late 2022, we saw some houses that we underwrote earlier in the year sell for six, eight, nine percent less than what we had underwrote them for six months ago. So I was thinking Florida is going to have that same fate, but I don't know. I mean, they might. There's so many people moving to Florida that the uh, supply demand thing might keep those prices high. True. I don't know. I mean, I've never, I've not been able to get a feel for this market in the last three years. You think something's going to happen and it yeah. goes the other way. I, I don't know. I mean, it's baffling. It really is. I agree. It's the same thing going on here. I cannot believe what's going on in this market right now. Well, thanks, guys. Uh, let's jump into one of our sponsors. Hey, it's me, Antonio Holman, founder of United States Real Estate Investor and producer of This Month in Real Estate Investing. Are you ready to ignite your financial freedom with what has been called the hottest REI strategy around? Or should I say strategies? 
Enter Jason Pallister's two-day investment blueprint where you will learn the secrets that the real estate investing community doesn't know because they never had a reason to before. With Jason's two-day investment blueprint, you will learn how to tackle real estate deals with over 40 different strategies, which means your chances of losing another deal nearly disappears completely. In Jason's two-day life transformation intensive, you will learn how to generate more deals, close deals faster, win more deals over other investors, multiply your real estate deal strategies, and much more. Jason's two-day investment blueprint can help you grow your REI business to six and seven figures faster with much less aggravation. If you want to learn how to invest in any market in the United States, even the tough markets, and close multiple deals per month, visit twodayblueprint.com. That's the number two, dayblueprint.com. And make sure you tell them you heard it here on This Month in Real Estate Investing. Don't believe the no more good deals hype and visit twodayblueprint.com today. Now back to James with This Month in Real Estate Investing. All right, let's get to our next news item uh, from Wealth Management. New CRE tech platform aims to be a dating service for 1031 exchange deals. Uh, without digging too much into the details of this, uh, and there were a lot, uh, the platform is designed to connect must-buy investors with sellers as well as lenders. It's, it's seizing on an opportunity for more than 70,000 1031 exchange investors acquiring 400 billion in commercial real estate a year. It's designed like a dating site where sellers are matched with a must-buy investor or multiple must-buy investors. <clears throat> sellers are able to see the amount of equity a buyer has to reinvest and the number of days until their selection deadline. Uh, the seller decides who they want to send their listings to and the buyer decides if they like the property and whether they want to reach out to the seller for more information, uh, a walkthrough, or issue a, an actual letter of intent. Um, there's a lot we could dig into here. <clears throat> and Don, I know that you and my business partner, Toby Hansen, well, what you guys do for investors uh, on, in regards to 1031s. And I'd like to hear what you think. Uh, but let's dig into this a little bit uh, before you guys jump in. Um, so first, uh, for our new investors tuning in, uh, does do any of our guests want to explain what a 1031 is, just briefly, along with the benefits and the downsides? If not, I'm happy to. I can jump in. I mean, it's really simple. I mean, you have uh, the it's uh, you are allowed by the IRS when you sell an investment property. You have I think it's like 45 days to get it, you know, to, to identify a property. You have six months to close on it. And idea is that you can defer your capital gains by immediately putting that, that profit that into the another property. Of course, you know it's fraught with uh, you know challenges. Let's put it that way. The you know the fact that you know it's sometimes, especially in the last three years, it's hard to find a similar property uh, in that time frame. And if you don't find a similar property, if, if it's if it's off by square footage or price point or a year your you know your built or whatever there's a whole myriad of things if it doesn't match up then you it's called the boot you get taxed on that overage and you know and that's that's one of the um 
that, that's kind of they're 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 they were the best show in town for a long time. And we can talk about why there's better strategies than that now, but uh, they're still used widely. Yeah. You know, just recently <clears throat> I was talking to a, a seller trying to sell a property, a second home, I believe, up in the mountains here in Colorado. And, <clears throat> excuse me, he he's uh, like, I keep getting all these lowball offers. And he's like, I, I just, I don't understand what's going on. And I go in the MLS and his listing agent had put, this seller has a 1031 exchange, basically throwing up big red flags, <laughs> you know, saying, hey, this guy's under the gun. He's going to have to take a, a low ball offer. When he found that out, he was just lost his mind. And what's funny is he was also an agent just in a, another state. He probably could have looked that information up, but uh, he turned around got his license in Colorado, I believe, and, and listed it himself. And I'm sure he wasn't putting that info in the private remarks. But yeah, I bring that up because in this platform, I'm trying to get my head around, you know, a buyer's or seller, you know, they're, they're, they both are kind of on the same page as far as, you know, they know clock's ticking for this person that's got to sell and then buy, right? So I don't know, what are your thoughts on that? I personally really like it. Uh, last year I had to do two and there really is a crunch. And I, I'm happy with the two properties that I exchanged into. No issues there, but I, I have to believe that if I had a little bit longer or maybe a wider variety of things to choose from, maybe I would have chosen differently. So it seems to me that this is a good way to at least vet some options and continue looking you know, in your market in the traditional ways, but this is another good way to see if there's, there's more there as well. Yeah. I guess what the, the, one of the big points they were making is that you, you've got this platform, you've got off market on market options, and they're speeding up that, that process of being able to identify your next property quickly without a delay. That's going to potentially cost you a lot of money. Well, you know, I, I'm going to jump here and say I think 1031 exchanges are obsolete and should never be used again. I mean, I, <laughs> you know, I have a, a, a non-grantor, irrevocable, complex, discretionary spendthrift trust. So when I have an investment property, it goes into my trust. I'm the trustee. And then when I sell it, my trust sells it and it comes back in and there's no, there's no capital gains taxes at all. They're eliminated with, that, with, that, with this trust, that strategy. So, you know, I personally, I mean, I'm, I feel a little bit, uh, you know, I feel, I don't want to say contempt, but it's just like, why are you continuing to do something that's so obsolete when there's another way to do it where you don't pay any capital gains taxes ever? They're eliminated and, you know, you can put that money, you're not forced to have this tight window to put your, you know, your, your money to something. Maybe you don't want those properties, but you're forced to buy a 1031 exchange because you're on this time crunch. If you if 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 you if it's, it's a trust asset, and you sell it with this trust that you know as this trust, then that money comes back in. Wait for a better investment. You decide what you want. There's no time crunch, and that money that money that would have gone to the IRS or you would have put back into a property that again maybe you don't want that. You can do whatever you want with it. So it takes away all the stress, and uh, 
the because I mean all you're doing is deferring the capital gains. Eventually, you got sometimes it's going to get paid. With this done, not to worry yeah. about. Yeah, it's such a beautiful thing. Yeah. <clears throat> when I heard about what you guys were doing, I was like, oh, <laughs> like why yeah. did you ever do that again? Uh, well, one caveat to that is you could do a reverse 1031, right? Uh, but it's going to cost you, what, five times as much or yeah. something as a regular 1031. Yeah. Why do that? Just exactly you know, do, your, do the trust and not, not ever have to do that again, especially yeah. if you're doing multiple 1031s. That pays for itself in probably the first deal, right? I have a, I have I'm helping a, a um, investor right now. He's got a he's closing on his on his, on his sale of four industrial properties. They were talking about you know he's going to pay a cool million at least in capital gains taxes. And so what we did was okay cool we we got him a trust, helped him get everything you know get the, get the uh, deeds over to the trust, get the bill of sale, all that stuff done. We got it done in like three days, and so now. You know, and of course, he had to get an addendum with the buyer. I was, I mean, you know, the um, to make sure things, you know, to change the the name of the of the seller to to whatever his company was to the trust, and that's it. It was that simple. And you know, he was just laughing, saying, "You know, my gosh, I I had you know, had no idea it was this simple and so effective." And it's like, yeah, that's why I think that as word gets around about this trust in the next three, four, or five years, I don't think you're going to see. People doing 1031 exchanges is certainly not the level they're doing right now. And the other stuff, they're, I mean, you know, deferred sales trust, you know, accelerated depreciation, all that those things are out there. They don't eliminate. And people, when people realize this eliminates capital gains tax, then, then why would you, why would any normal person do that? So. Yeah. And what was it? Two years ago, 1031s were on the chopping block. Uh, they were going to vote them out, right? Just, yeah, they were. Uh, that was on the table. It didn't survive. But yeah, they were yeah. The very minimum. They wanted to raise, raise the. Um, they want to get more of the money and make it less, you know, less. Yeah. Uh, um, less attractive. Yeah. Yeah. Attractive. That's what I was looking for. Yeah. So uh, in this article, they're talking about uh, more ten thirty ones on in the commercial real estate, uh, not necessarily residential. Maybe it would all work the same. Um, with with your trusts, Don, would that apply to big any, commercial? Any asset, any capital asset that you sell, it could be commercial, it could be investment property that's res, you know it's a single family, it could be a duplex, whatever, industrial property, commercial property, it could be crypto, it could be a business. You know, businesses are getting killed on capital gains taxes when they sell, mm -hmm. and we, we're doing that right now. Where you, uh, you know, you just do an asset sale. Uh, we have something like 200 dent private dentist dentists are selling their practices to private equity firms, and they're setting up the trust before they do that to avoid the capital gains. So yeah, any kind of, any kind of a sale which is going to be a capital gains event triggered, no matter what the asset, this trust can handle. Yeah, yeah, that reminds me. Uh, Toby was talking with the. A chiropractor that wanted to sell his practice. Same thing. Yeah, absolutely. Same way. Yeah. All right. Any other comments before we jump into the next one? All right. Uh, back to self storage. Uh, a private equity real estate investor bets big on self storage. 
Prime Group Holdings has been focused on self-storage with the largest ever fundraise of $2.5 billion. They and their investors see it as an asset class that is recession resilient, need-based, offers reliable cash flow with little downside, and have multiple ways of adding value after acquiring the property. They're focused on finding off-market properties as much as possible in undersupplied markets and aim to streamline operations to increase efficiency and cash flow. Even though rents are down 2.8% compared to the previous year, they're still higher than before the pandemic. Also, the number of properties under construction is declining due to development costs and delays, as we all know, due to supply. Uh, so I'm well aware of the benefits of self-storage and many other investors are too. They're doing everything they can to find good off-market prop opportunities. What do you think of this asset class and the opportunities for smaller investors that don't have $2.5 billion uh, behind them? Similar questions as to uh, our previous article, I guess. Anybody have thoughts on that? I mean, I think you got to know what you're doing, right? I, I don't have a lot to add here other than I've got a number of friends that are in the single family space that are uh, starting to look at and buy self-storage stuff. And I learned the hard way back in 2005 when I thought flipping houses meant I could develop houses and develop buildings. And we bought three houses within like three months in the summer 2005 that were all development deals. We had no idea what we were doing and we ended up losing $3 million on those. And one of them took us 10 years to extricate ourselves from. So uh, I don't have a great answer other than to say that um, the small investor better know what self-storage is like because it's not like flipping a house or, or running an apartment. It's just a different beast. True that. Yeah, I think what I pulled out of that article is, you know, who's in the fund itself. And so, you know, when they talked about its, its pensions, its university endowments, and, you know, some of these the insurance companies even, um, to me, it was a signal that there is longevity in self-storage. So just piggybacking off of what Brad said, I think education is key in terms of getting into it. But just with the you know decrease in demand of commercial buildings, or I guess increase of vacant commercial buildings, maybe there's an opportunity there. I don't know. I mean, it would require a lot of education, that speculation. But it sounds like, you know, these long term asset classes are putting a lot of stake into self-storage. So it's it's definitely worth looking at. Yeah. All right. Any other comments? All right. Let's go to the next article from Wealth Management. <clears throat> Delaware Statu Statutory Trust, DSTs, uh, sector battles excess inventory as investor demand slows. This is a space I'm not super familiar with. Um, a sharp drop in demand has caused headaches for sponsors holding properties longer than planned. One of the selling points of DSTs is that they are often prepackaged deals for time-sensitive 1031 exchange investors. From my understanding, DSTs are available as fractional ownership interest. So an investor can buy into one with as much equity as they need to exchange instead of having to find a, a single property mm -hmm. of equal or greater value. 
according to the article, things have slowed down with higher rates and friction between buyers and sellers on pricing. Um, what do you guys think about DSTs and the appeal of them as a more passive investment, especially for baby boomer investors? Well, in case, in case you're uh, maybe less educated viewers don't understand what, what it is, basically a DST is also a vehicle to defer capital gains. And what if you are a uh, owner of a property, you sell it, and you've got to play, put that money somewhere. And you know this is a probably a, not a bad solution if you don't do the trust like we talked about, as you can put it into uh, you know in this syndication type situation. And you know it, it it gives you it takes away your I mean it doesn't take away your capital gains, but you're you pay it incrementally. So in other words, you're not going to get hit with it right away. You're still going to pay it, but you can take your profit in increments, which means you can pay it off. You can chunk it, but you're not going to pay it lump sum right away. Uh, you know, I mean, it's convenient, right? I mean, you don't. I mean, what's the biggest thing about 1031 exchanges is finding that similar property. Now you can just put that into a syndication, and you know, it's less less hassle from that point of view. Uh, you know, that's that's kind of what it what it what it does. Yeah. Yeah, I like the the point that uh, you know baby boomers getting ready to retire can just get out of a, a more active investment. Just get into this. They got to trust the the operator, obviously. And there's like multifamily, many different levels of of operators that are good or bad. So they got to choose wisely. Anybody else have comments? I don't. Well, I just add that it's stupid to do that strategy anyway when you have a trust, but I've already talked about that. So Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you can bang that drum yeah. <laughs> and talk for hours on it, right, Tom? Yeah. All right. Why don't we take uh, another break to hear from our sponsor? It's me again, Antonio Holman, founder of United States Real Estate Investor and producer of This Month in Real Estate Investing. You know, one of the best ways to increase your company's brand awareness and increase warm leads is to create written content online. But as we know, content creation can be very time consuming and not very cost effective when having to pay professional copywriting fees. It's time to use REI Content Packs. REI Content Packs Done For You Content Packs give you the tools, flexibility, and cost-effective way to increase your brand's visibility and online presence without spending hours or even days stressing on what to create. REI Content Packs are a collection of high-quality, ready-made real estate blog articles exclusively created for the real estate investing industry. Can you imagine the possibilities if you could do two to three more deals per month without increasing your ad spend? REI Content Packs can help you do that. Can you imagine getting unlimited online traffic, increasing your Google ranking, getting more leads, and making more money? REI Content Packs can help you do that too. To get started increasing your brand's content and lessening your workload, head on over to thismonthinrealestateinvesting.com slash REI Content Packs. That's thismonthinrealestateinvesting.com forward slash REI Content Packs. It's time to get off the online marketing hamster wheel. Try REI Content Packs today at thismonthinrealestateinvesting.com slash REI Content Packs. Now back to James and This Month in Real Estate Investing. Okay, from Bloomberg, 
America's priciest neighborhoods are changing as the ultra rich move to Florida. <laughs> we don't want them. Go. <laughs> <laughs> They're coming. Uh, Miami's Star Island has drawn the rich for decades, but the Citadel hedge fund founder Ken Griffin's move from Chicago launched the neighborhood to a, a whole new level. Typical homes went from two, uh, 23 million in 2018 to 40 million, making it the priciest neighborhood in America. Buyers like the warmer climate, relaxed COVID rules, economic policies, political policies, and no state income tax. One man said that the taxes he's not paying in Massachusetts is essentially paying for his new house in Florida. Even with this trend started during the pandemic, there are people talking about moving back to economic, political, and cultural centers like New York and San Francisco, but it's not stopping the flood. Uh, there's still a lot going there. And maybe they just want to hang out with you, Don. Well, you know what? Here's a big fallacy about Florida and the state income tax. You don't have a state income tax here at all, okay? But you are feed to death. There are fees and fees and fees and fees and fees. I mean, you know, like anything else, crunch the numbers. I mean, there's not significantly that much of a difference if you look at what you're actually paying. And, and a fee is a tax, okay? But, I mean, I get that. People people make emotional decisions. I think they, they don't necessarily have all the facts. When they do that, they just hear, oh, my gosh, i got to be in a state where there's no state income tax. It's like going to Texas, for example. It's like, yeah, no state income tax. Yeah, but when you have an ice storm or it gets a little bit, you know, a little bit of snow, then you know, you're you're it's all a private electrical system, and you're going to start jumping from like, you know, two hundred dollars a month to ten thousand dollars, you know. So, yeah, there's no state income tax, but what else are you going to end up paying for? So, uh, as someone who's been in Florida for you know twenty five years almost, it's like, you know, I don't I don't get it what the attraction is per se because actually. You know, our infrastructure is not very good at all. We have gridlock, you know, um, but I guess if you got that kind of money, you don't care. I guess helicopter back and forth. But, you know, I, I just don't I don't see it why they do it. But, hey, you're right. It's not going to stop. Yeah. Yeah. Despite uh, the tax, it's money's got to come from somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> nothing's, nothing's for free. Right. Right. I mean, it's just irrational, right? Uh, prices have doubled in a lot of these markets and cities and areas in Florida in, in two years, three years. Typically, if you look over the last hundred years, I think it takes um, 10 years for real estate to double. So I'm sitting here saying it's irrational, but what would make it come down if you've got such a limited supply? It's what I was saying earlier, kind of about nationwide real estate investing. You have such a limited supply and you have so many more ultra wealthy people. Is that neighborhood, are we going to ever wake up and have that neighborhood be worth $20 million again? Probably not, but I've been wrong before and I can be wrong again. Um, I've been waiting. I want to move to Florida in the next three years when my daughter graduates from high school. And I just keep thinking, oh, I'll just wait till it goes down. And I'm not sure it is going to go down uh, because there's so many people moving there. Well, you know, I hate to bring up a political hot point here, but, you know, you, you have the deniers about climate change. You got people that see it. But, you know, be in Miami when it starts to rain. You see what happens with all the flooding. And that's just, you know, 
just, you know, think people don't think about that, but that's an issue. It's good. It's a ticking time bomb. And I don't know. I mean, all this stuff's going on here. The aquifer is, 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 uh, losing it's, it's dropping and you're getting more, you're going to get more sinkholes and more. There's a lot this. And, and then we've seen hurricanes. I mean, it's not all, all, uh, ice cream and cookies here, you know? <laughs> so I don't know, but I guess you can talk about that anywhere. I mean, Frick, you got Sandy came in and, 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 and took out, uh, New Jersey. I don't know. I mean, you got the fires out West and people still buying real estate, you know, real estate, like, like pancakes and, you know, in hotcakes in uh, California. I don't know. It's just crazy. I don't know. Yeah. Oh, Kim, you're muted. Nope, still, still muted. There we go. Sorry, guys. <laughs> I have an investment property in Florida, and so I can only speak to my experience. And I mean, there was a lot of demand when it went on the market. Um, a lot of really qualified people that, you know, were moving into that area. Mm -hmm. And so I can definitely say just from my experience, it's a great place. Um, you know, from what I've seen on the investing side. Where so in I can see why. Um, yeah. Port Charlotte. I don't know where that is. Yeah, it's just southwest Florida, Fort Myers, that area. Mm -hmm. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. I know that area. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm not, I'm not doubting that it's all true. What you said is absolutely 100% true. I just doubt the reasoning behind it. But, you know, you're right. I mean, from a practical point of view, the demand is there. And it's a great place to invest right now. That's all, you know, I, I agree with you hundred percent. Yeah. You, you talk to people that are buried in snow in Tahoe and freezing their butts off in Minnesota. Yeah. Oh, then you can't wait, for the, garden, can't wait for the garden days in, in Florida when it's 98 degrees and 92% humidity. And it's like, Oh, we're just loving oh, I love it. I love that. heat. <laughs> uh, yes. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm from Michigan originally. I live in Georgia now, but I remember Florida being considered paradise and still is to my family. They're like, oh, Florida's great. So I mean they're definitely from northerners. Florida's a, a really awesome spot. Yeah. I don't know if I could handle it. I'm from Alaska. I like the cold. <laughs> when it gets hot and muggy, I'm like, uh <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's not fun, but you know, hey. It's everybody's got their thing, right? Well, but but the, the natural disaster waiting to happen here, I mean, people don't from the north they come down here and they start realizing what it's like to be to be on the turnpike, a two lane highway, the Florida Turnpike, and you've got that fifty you know fifty plus sixty plus year old guy going fifty miles an hour in the left lane with his left hand blinker going. <laughs> that's what they're that's what they're coming down to. So be forewarned. Yeah, we're all over the place. <laughs> that's, that's everywhere. Is it? Oh, yeah, no. there's all 50 right. year olds driving like that everywhere. <laughs> well, I will not bend to you know the 59 year olds here. I'm gonna I'm gonna drive normal. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's jump into the next article from Benzinga. Benzinga. Uh, Meet the platform fundamentally changing how we think about real estate investing. A company called Parcel, P-A-R-C-L, launched a platform that uses the Solana blockchain technology and allows users to trade price movements of real estate on a geographical basis. Users can go long or short on the median home price and create a portfolio. 
prices are sourced from the parcel price feed, which supplies the median price per square foot on a city or neighborhood level. There's no minimum investment, is highly liquid, and has low transaction costs. I'm, I'm still trying to get my head around this, uh, and I don't really understand the, the stock version of that myself either. Does anybody else on here understand what they're doing? I mean, it sounds like they're setting a price based on individual markets, right? And you can trade whether the you know it's like shorting or uh, a stock almost. So you can decide if it's going to go up or down. But I don't know. It doesn't seem like they're investing in the actual assets. Yeah. It's just like an index fund or something. Yeah, that's what I was kind of wondering. Uh, yeah, it, I, I wouldn't be investing. <laughs> Let that one shake out. Yeah. Yeah. My, my first thought reading this article is I thought, well, isn't this a little bit like gambling? You know, like what type of factors are people using to actually understand if, you know, to short it or long it or however they're doing it? And then the other thought I had is if they really know the market area and can actually make a good strategic opinion about it, it almost was like, well, how is that different from insider trading? You know? So I don't really know how they're doing it. Um, and I'm just kind of saying those comments, you know, tongue in cheek. But at the same time, you know, crypto, I, I'm just way too old fashioned when it comes to real estate. I have to have something tangible. I have to be able to analyze it. I've got to be able to have five exit strategies. And this just seems um, completely different than what I'm used to. Yep. Yeah. Don't even talk to me about crypto. I'm out. <laughs> I have no opinion except that I, I just, I'm sorry, I don't. You're right. Kimberly, 100% right. There's got to be something concrete. And to me, it's just too much speculation. And I'm, I'm not, I'm, I will not get it. And I get, I get so many people up my butt about that saying, oh, you guys, it's like, no, stay away. Stay away. I'm not going to do it. Okay. Won't do it. That's it. Yeah. I just went to a really interesting continuing education class on crypto, blockchain, NFTs, and I learned quite a bit. And I guess <clears throat> there's a lot of good things that, that blockchain is bringing to the industry. Crypto, on the other hand, you have to kind of separate that. That's, you know, it's been given such a bad name from all the investing into it. You know that currency um yeah we'll, we'll see how this platform shakes out i i definitely want to learn more about what they're doing um and may never do any investing in that because i like you kim like i want hard assets that i can analyze and control i'm not i'm not the gambler like <laughs> i looked into that stuff before and i was like i just don't have the The personality for that, you know, eliminating. Bad for movies, too. I mean, you're never going to have a scene where a crypto investor is going to throw all his crypto on a bed and just roll around on it and, and exult because he's so rich, you know. And, you know, that, that doesn't pass the smell test for me. So. <laughs> Can't make it rain with uh, crypto, can you? <laughs> no. <laughs> you throw electrons. I don't know. Just start the Protons. <laughs> Nice. All right, let's jump into our next article from Investing Daily. Cannabis 
a new high for real estate values. Love their creativity. Uh, so the presence of pot dealers used to be considered bad for neighborhoods, but has changed quite a bit. A survey of people new to a metro area showed that 46% said they'd rather live where it's legal compared to only 22% that want to live where it's prohibited. The quote-unquote green rush has actually revitalized communities creating many new jobs and increased residential and commercial real estate prices. Real estate companies now specialize in dispensaries and warehouses. Law firms focus on changing laws and investment firms are looking for opportunities in the space. And of course, politicians are motivated to push for legalization, especially as they see dollar signs with state and local tax revenue. You know, I, I live in Colorado where we've been in the headlines for years since legalization and a lot of other states have studied what has happened over time. Uh, and as you can see, there's a lot of states jumping on board when they see how much money it's brought in. Um, what have you guys seen in, in your markets? I'm not aware who's got legalization or not. We operate in D.C. Um, it hasn't done anything. I think it's uh, I think it all goes up in smoke when it becomes <laughs> good one <laughs> when it becomes federally legalized and the, the Philip Morris is just going to take over. Like, yeah. I mean, are they not pushing to get this legalized so they can, you know, sell people more bad shit and make more money? So, yeah, um, I don't think it's it hasn't affected D.C. real estate much at all. And uh, it's just a matter of time before it becomes federal, federally legalized and the big guys take over and all these places go away. Yeah. Yeah. That, that is one thing that uh, when you looked at the numbers for Colorado, everybody thought, oh, there's all these people going to move in here and bump up the prices. And it really didn't have that much effect when, when we looked at the real numbers. I don't see it happening that much in Florida. I mean, for me, the big breakthrough in Florida is going to be when they legalize meth. <laughs> you know, so I'm, I'm putting all my profits in the meth labs. Okay, I'm, I just say it out loud. Oh shit! They legalized it in Portland, and it hasn't. Uh, the prices haven't spiked in Portland <laughs> for meth. But, but I tell you what, it's great business for dentists. You know, when the teeth start falling out, they're right there. So. You know. Uh, how do I follow that? But I, kind of, you know, I just have to make a comment for talking about our areas. So Georgia, it's not legalized, but there is a you know, more CBD here. So I do see like a growing, you know, economic, like I see, you know, CBD houses, vape shops and things like that, you know, that's supporting it. Um, but from my understanding, it's not legal here yet. All right. Hey, why don't we jump into our last fun news item from Money Talks News. <clears throat> Seven red flags of a freeloader. I'll just go through them here. Uh, and I kind of called out their potential solutions. So somebody says, I forgot my wallet. Possible solution. If habitual, call them out on it the next time. Can I borrow something? Just say no and shut up. Just don't even explain. Just say no. Can I stay with you? Set a very clear timeline and have them sign an agreement 
they pointed out, you know, if they stay too long, they actually may qualify as a tenant. You might have to evict them. So that could be a bad situation. Um, you're so stingy, somebody says. If it's a roommate situation, set boundaries or move out after the lease ends. A lot of these were kind of talking about people renting and having roommates. Uh, can you front me? Possible solution, ask why they can't pay and suggest cr creating a budget so it doesn't keep happening or find a new roommate. Uh, never pays you back. Possible solution, just say, hey, that's not in my budget. Uh, has money for everything except what matters. Possible solution, don't lend them money and always ask for separate checks. Can you guys relate to any of these on, on either side? I think you left one out. Oh, will did you, I? Will you marry me? <laughs> yeah. That, that's think, a big one. <laughs> yeah. Like, I, as you know, being a landlord for all these years, you know, as I was reading this article, I was thinking, you know, the most common ones that I get are number one, are you a private landlord? And number two, um, can I move in today? Those are always kind of little bit red flags of my experience <laughs> over the years. Hmm. Interesting. I know that first one, I, f I forgot my wallet. My brother used to do that all the time. <laughs> like, <Yeah>. Dude! <laughs> and it's not like he was meant to be a freelancer. <laughs> like, it's just, forgot his wallet all the time. Okay, this is, is this intentional now. <laughs> it starts becoming... So habitual. Anything else? All right. Well, guys, this has been awesome. I'd like to thank our sponsors, Jason Palliser's two-day investment blueprint and REI content packs. Our guests, you guys have been awesome. Don Thornton, Kimberly Custer Key, and Brad Chandler. In that same order, why don't you guys let people know how they can connect with you. Okay, yeah, if you see on the screen, uh, just go to my, go to my uh, page, Financial Freedom. Now, I know about that, that's great, or just Google me, I'm all over the place, on the Ford Sale Guide. Awesome, and people can find me at the w2landlord.com. I also have a free Facebook group. It's Real Estate Investors with Full-Time Jobs. You can find me there as well. I'm Brad Chandler, and you can find me at bradchandler.com forward slash contact. And it has all my social media as well as a new cool group we just started, How to Be Happier for Entrepreneurs. If you're struggling with happiness or really anything in your life and want more happiness, reach out to me. Awesome. I'd also like to thank our producer, Antonio Holman, with United States Real Estate Investor. Follow and subscribe to This Month in Real Estate Investing on YouTube at youtube.com forward slash at United States REI or your favorite podcast app. And remember, when one door closes, another door opens to financial freedom. Thanks, everybody. Thank you.